The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. And his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. Which is why if you were to go to Tel Aviv in Israel this week and you were to be walking down the street, you were to say to greet someone, you would tell them what? Shalom, shalom. And now you have a bit of an understanding of the, more the richness of that word. And it's interesting, it shows up in the announcement of the birth of a little baby in Bethlehem that very first Christmas. And you hear the words of the angels. Here's what it says in Luke chapter two. We'll turn to a different passage in a bit, but let's, let me just read this. Today in the town of David, 
A savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, what? Peace, Irene, shalom to those on whom his favor rests. That's what Jesus came to bring. So 2,000 years later, what does that mean for you and for me personally? Sitting on an airplane and the guy next to me, when people find out, they're like, you know, they've, sometimes they ask that question, like, what do you do? They find out I'm a pastor. <laughs> it's always interesting to see the responses. Some people pretend they immediately have fallen asleep. Um, uh, although that happens to me here as well, right? So... <laughs> Uh, some look for the exit door, uh, some put on their headphones, but then there are some who really want to chat, you know, I think, and for this guy, it was sort of therapeutic, he began to tell me a story and just asked a couple of questions, and then I think he began almost feeling like he was in a time of confession. <laughs> but I, he told me, he said, you know, I've traveled a ton, and he said, and I could tell he had done well in his, in his he made a lot of money. I mean, it was just from the sounds of it, he had been very successful. But he said, it's coming to cost. He said, I've, I've traveled a ton. I, my business has been thriving. But he said, I've, I've, I've lost out on so much with my family. And he said, my marriage uh, fell apart. I had this nasty divorce. My relationship with my kids is strained. And it, you could tell he felt like I, I've... I gave up way too much to achieve business success. It's not an uncommon story, right? I mean, it's just something we look back, and I think all of us in life, it could be looking at porn. It could be that maybe you get angry uh, behind closed doors with people that you really care about, and, you know, the rest of people are like, oh, you seem like such a calm person, and everyone who's in the inner circle knows, like, oh, if they only knew. You know, just you say, I lose it. Whatever it is that all of us have either things in our lives today or we look back on and we go, if I could redo that, I would make a different decision. Relationship decision, something financially, I got myself completely buried under debt. Maybe some kind of choice you made that you thought in the moment that's just, you know, I just, I wasn't, I was drinking to whatever it was, and I made a terrible decision, but we have regrets, right? We all do. I have regrets. Mary, my wife, has regrets. Um, the question is this, what, what do we do with the regrets that we have? When we feel like we carry shame, we carry stuff with us, how does Christmas, how do we experience shalom? What, what happened that very first Christmas that is the answer to the regret to the guy sitting next to me on the plane in my own life for all of us. I'd like us to see today the key to forgiveness and how you and I can experience freedom from guilt. This is the good news. Like we, you can be free of the shame that you carry from your past. And that's what we're gonna celebrate in communion today as well. We started a new series two weeks ago, and the premise is this, that Christmas makes a lot more sense when you know what? When you know how the story begins, right? 
We know how the story begins. You go, it just, I, I, I have a better grasp on the wonder of Christmas, what it's all about, why it truly is one of the highlight holidays in all of history. And so we called this series Creation to Christmas because we said Christmas, we might ask the question, if Christmas is the solution, then what's the problem? If it's the answer, what's the question? And we have to go back before the Christmas event about 5 BC is when most scholars think Jesus was born. And we have to go back before that and say, so why was Christmas necessary anyhow for God to come into our world and to rescue us? So in part one, uh, we said that uh, Christmas is, is the time when Jesus rescued us from the curse, right? That if you go back to creation, it was good, it was very good, but Human sin and failure, rebellion against God brought this curse into the world like a giant infection, and nature was cursed, relationships were cursed, you and I are cursed. How did Jesus carry our curse? Last week, we looked at our groanings, right? And we said, when you invite the Holy Spirit of Jesus to come into your life, that he comes into your life and that, and that God hears our groans, like he knows your suffering, he gets you. And it says this in Romans chapter eight, the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. In other words, when you don't know how to pray, he helps you, he fills in the blanks. Because of Jesus, we look forward to that amazing day when we get to heaven, when there will be how much groaning? No more, right? Perfect shalom. So week one, he took our curse. Week two, he hears our groans. And then today, how can you and I have him remove our sins. Like, what, what, what happens? So I'd like you to turn your Bible with me to John chapter one. John chapter one, we're gonna see how Jesus is identified by John the Baptist, and, and when, he's, when Jesus first begins his uh, public ministry. By the way, if you don't have a paper Bible like I do, you can have the Bible app on your phone, and then we have notes as well. It has a lot of the scripture verses and uh, those are available at the tables right by the doors. And those of you engaged online, really glad to have you with us. Uh, and you'll find on our website, gracecma.org, all the notes are right there as, as well. By the way, let me just say for all of us, uh, wherever you're joining in from, you're here, you're engaging online, Olmsted Falls, Lorraine Campus, wherever, we would love to have you participate with us in our new Bible reading plan, as uh, Pastor Tom mentioned uh, that we're gonna be going through the New Testament and, and it's free and, and it's just, it's really, it's a great plan. So glad to have you join us in that. John chapter one, drop down to verse 29 and here's what it says, John the Baptist speaking. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, <coughs> the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. <clears throat> what is he talking about there? John the Baptist was about a year older than, than Jesus. Their moms were cousins, friends, Elizabeth and Mary. And he goes, he came after me. In other words, John the Baptist was born first, but he said, but he existed before me. It's a nod to the deity of Jesus, right? That John the Baptist is saying, when John the Baptist was born, that was the beginning of John the Baptist's life. When Jesus was born, that was not the beginning, listen to this, of Jesus' existence. Jesus had existed before that. In fact, he existed for how long? If you believe the message of Christianity, he has existed forever. He's God the Son, and when he's born in that Bethlehem manger, what it meant was that 
He just began his earthly existence at that time, but he had always been. Well, John doesn't stop there. That little part, you go, okay, what does he mean he existed before me, but he came after me? He also calls him the Lamb of God. When's the last time you went to someone and said, I just want to tell you, you remind me of a lamb? Like, they'd go like, is that a compliment, or is that like, what, what does that mean? It, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. What, what was meant by that? What was John the Baptist saying when he calls him the Lamb? I mean, it's the first words that identify Jesus publicly spoken in the Gospel of John, and he calls him the Lamb of God. Well, as we said, it helps if you know how the story begins, right? So what we've been wanting to do in each of these series, uh, each of these messages of the series, is to say, Christmas is this event, but what happened before that helps me understand the significance of what took place? Why would Jesus be called the Lamb of God? So I want to go back almost to the beginning of the story, to Exodus, the second book of the Bible. So if you want to turn there with me, Exodus chapter 12, and the context here is this amazing experience that took place uh, in the nation of Israel, an event that was so big it would become Israel's first national holiday. And today, about 3,500 years later, it's still celebrated in Jewish homes and really by other people as well. Uh, and it's an incredible illustration of, that, of what Jesus has done for you and for me to release us from regret and from the failures of our past. Here's the context. You might remember how the nation of Israel is a growing, they, they, they've, you know, people and they go from being like a group of 70 when they land in Egypt and they're just 70 people, Jacob and his family, and, and they grow over the course of hundreds of years to be about two million people strong. And it scares the daylights out of the Egyptian leaders. So what do they do? They begin to enslave them. And they, they just, they treat them brutally. If you happen to have heritage in Egypt, this is nothing against Egypt today. But it's just the way it was back then. We all have our national stains, and that was one of them for them, and when that didn't work and the nation of Israel continued to flourish, they said, you know what? Every baby boy that's born who's Jewish, this is the beginning of like anti-Semitism, right? Uh, we want you to throw them in the river and let them drown. We've gotta stop this population surge. And so God hears the groanings we saw last week of his people. He hears their groanings and he acts, and he acts in the in the person of Moses, and Moses is sent to Pharaoh, and Moses says, let my, what? People go. And Pharaoh says, all right, no problem. No, what does he say? No, he's not happy at all. So God says, all right, I'll, we'll help to loosen the grip here, and they, he sends plagues. And they have frogs and more frogs. Imagine going home today, and you had like hundreds of frogs in here and say, honey, you're not gonna believe what's in here. And there's hundreds of frogs. Would you wanna stay there? And then you go, let's go to get a hotel room and you go there and there's hundreds more frogs. That was just one of the plagues. There were gnats, there was thunderous hail. There was, I mean, there's all kinds, it was terrible. But the, 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 the final plague is here in Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, and it says this. On that same night, the Lord says to Moses and Aaron, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring 
judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am, can you imagine the, how terrifying this was? You wake up in the morning and you go check on your oldest child and they're gone, I mean dead. And you start to scream and then you hear like, I hear someone else screaming and it's the neighbor next to you, it's the neighbor across the street and everybody has lost the oldest child, not only their human children, but then they're all of the firstborn of their animals as well. Why? Because if you see in the last little phrase there, to show God says that I am the Lord. This was not, first of all, a battle between Egypt and Israel. It wasn't a battle between Pharaoh and Moses. This was most of all for people to see that God is God and he's worthy of worship and trust and submission and surrender for every person. They'll see that I am the Lord. Not only that, God is upholding the value and the dignity of every person. Do you think God sees today what happens in our own country when a child, their rights are stomped upon, when a woman faces abuse in her home? When you go around the world, we'll take it elsewhere. God sees all of that. And he's a God who loves justice. And it breaks his heart, and so he brings judgment. And, and here's the point that, of this chapter, that sin, if not forgiven, always brings judgment. It's been that way from the very beginning. Romans chapter five tells us this, sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all of sin, the wages of sin is death. In other words, when, when sin entered our world and it came to all of us, it was like this infection, and we all, we, we all become guilty. And, and then we're deserving of judgment. And it says that sin always has consequences. The wages of sin is what? Is death. And God judges sin. It's just the way he is. People today go, come on now, that like offends my modern sensibilities. I cannot follow a God who would ever judge anybody. Like that's terrible. That's like, that's old school. I want a God who just, you know, just sort of turns a blind eye and do we really? Do we, do we when we read in the news about war crimes in Ukraine and the awful things that happen, does it help us in some way to say at some point God sees all of those war crimes and, and there will be judgment. When you hear about adults who are caring for kids who have disabilities and they put their food just out of reach of those kids, as we read in the news this week, if you followed that in the news, or they lock them in dark rooms, and you go, that's just, that's horrible, right? There, there needs to be consequences for behavior like that. Or you hear about a dad who with his own young children treats them horrifically. And he goes, somebody has to pay for that. There has, there's something within us that we go, we want justice as well. We don't love judgment, at least I, I hope not, but we love justice and we go, there needs to be consequences for, and that's a reflection of the heart of God, that sin brings judgment. And when we see things that we go, yes, that, that's right. The problem is when we look in the mirror and we go, that's also me. That I'm guilty. I have regrets. There are things I've done in my life that if you had a window into things in my past or I had a window into things in your past and we go, wow, I, uh, you know, we've messed up. 
We sin, we're guilty. And even if we've never done some horrific crime, you know, you say, well, I've never killed anybody, never robbed a bank. Those are usually the first two we pick, right? We've all offended a holy God. We haven't, it says, all have sinned and fallen, what? Fallen short of God's glory, his standard. And, and there are consequences for you. I mean, that means just like the people of Egypt for their sin, that you and I, like every other person who has ever lived, we all deserve judgment. There are consequences for our sin. And when we get that, we go, if that's true, I need someone to save me. And that's the story of Christmas, right? That Jesus came to save us from judgment. And in his own words, he says, in Mark chapter 10, he says, the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to do what? To, to give his life as a ransom for many friends. Here's, we're gonna see the, this 1,500-year connection that when Jesus came, Jesus came to rescue us from our sin, just like God had rescued Israel from their sin, and he provides a way of rescue for every Egyptian, every people, person from Israel, every American. For all of us, he provides a way. How does he do that? You might remember what happened on the night here in Exodus chapter 12, that, that the people are offered forgiveness and life through a lamb. Maybe you know the story of what happened. Here's a summary. I'll just read a few of the key segments here from Exodus 12. It says this. God tells the people, take the Passover what? Lamb. And put some of the blood on the top and on the both sides of your door frame. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will what? Pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you. And that's where we get the name for the Jewish feast, still celebrated today, the feast of what? Passover. Because judgment would pass over your home and wouldn't touch you. It was an amazing, it was an amazing thing. And it was all possible because of what? Because of a lamb. A lamb was slaughtered and the people were forgiven because of the lamb and it's just the heart of God that he would provide a way that we could be rescued, that the people of Israel could be rescued. Those were his people and today he, he's done the same thing we'll see and, and his friends, it's God's heart in 1 Timothy chapter two it says his desire is that everyone would be rescued. Everyone would be saved. That's his heart for you. You can put your name in there. God's heart is for you to be saved. Here's the way he provided that day. Don't want to miss this. Judgment that was supposed to come to the people, the judgment instead was put on a what? On a lamb. Your sins, your, your guilt, your regrets were transferred to a lamb. You go, well, why would God do that? Well, he's God. I don't know all the reasons why God did it, but he, he, he knew that, there, that the wages of sin is death. Something had to die, and instead of a person, it was, it was an animal. You sacrifice the lamb, and you, you put the blood on the doorpost of your home, and God says, when I see the blood of the lamb, I'm gonna pass over you. No judgment, forgiveness. Your sins are covered. And that night at midnight, the angel of death would come through the community and would pass over your home. You were forgiven. You experienced life. 
you, you, you had joy instead of grief. And it was a sign that you were part of God's family. And for those, listen to this, for those who did not apply the blood of the lamb, what would happen to them? There was death and there was mourning and there was grief and there was, fast forward 1,500 years. A baby is born in Bethlehem. The announcement of peace, shalom on earth. And how is he identified? John the Baptist says, look, the lamb of God who takes away what? Do you see the connection? Do you see how when John said, look, the Lamb of God, he was saying, this is our Passover Lamb. How did he know that? I don't know. God revealed it to him. And everyone in Israel would know the Lamb. We, every year on Passover, we... Peter, the leader of the early church, writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, all of you who trust in Jesus were redeemed, how? With the precious blood of Christ, a what? A lamb without blemish or defect, just like they were to be without blemish or defect. In the, Jesus was perfect, never messed up, no regrets, no failure. How about in the words of the Apostle Paul, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter five, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And miraculously, do you know what day Jesus, the Lamb of God, gave his life? Of the 365 days of the year, what day was he crucified on? The day of Passover, right? His trial, we read about his trial in John chapter 19, it says it was the preparation of the Passover, it was about noon, Pilate says to the Jews, here's your king. The very day that the Passover lambs would be killed was the day that Jesus, our Passover lamb, I mean, the connection was just, it, it was amazing. And the significance wasn't lost on Jesus. When he comes and he says, with, he's at the upper room with his followers and he says, this is my body given for you. Do this whenever you eat it to remember me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this Cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is, what? Poured out for you, and 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 for me. Christ, our Passover lamb. Why would he do it? Where's the apostle Paul? He loved me and gave himself for me. Did it voluntarily. Christ is my Passover lamb. Is he your Passover lamb? You see, sometimes people think there's this automatic like, yeah, Jesus came, he died, yeah, we're all forgiven, we're all going to heaven. It's automatic. But back, remember back in, in the, the first Passover, it just didn't have to be a lamb that was slain. You had to take the blood of the lamb. What'd you have to do? You had to apply it to your own home, right? Like it had, it had to be applied to your life. If you're like, oh, they're all doing the lambs, I'm good. What was gonna happen to your family night, that night? You, you, you were, the, death was gonna visit your home. Judgment was going to visit your home. And so for us today, what, what do we do? I need to apply the blood of the lamb to my life. You need to apply the blood of the lamb to your life because if we get to the place where we stand before God and judgment is, final judgment is given out, the question for you and for me will be this. 
Has the blood of the lamb been applied to your life? Have you come to the place where you say, Jesus, I deserve judgment. I've messed up, but you never have. And Jesus, I invite you to apply the blood that you shed to my life. And when that happens, you know what it says in Colossians 1? That you become without blemish and free from accusation. That means all your regrets are covered. They're erased. You might remember them, but he remembers your sin, what? No more. That's the wonder of Christmas, that you and I have this Passover lamb. Remember the old hymn, what can wash away my sin Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, no, I, I won't sing. You do not want that. Two things in closing. Then we're gonna have these elements. First of all, aren't you glad that Jesus is the perfect lamb? When he came, we didn't have to have over and over and over again. I mean, your kids are happier like, you're not coming to church going, okay, here we go again. They're going to watch little Larry the Lamb. You know, this is his last day, right? Peter's happier. We're happier. Like, no more animals, you know. That's the first thing to highlight. When Jesus came that very first Christmas, he was the perfect and the last Passover lamb. That's why we don't sacrifice anymore. He's the lamb of God. Turning point in history. The second thing is this. I want to ask you a question. Has it become personal for you? Has the blood of the lamb been applied to your life? It doesn't count if mom or dad have made the decision. It doesn't count if grandma. It doesn't count if your pastor. It doesn't count. It has to be something where you recognize in your own life, you say, Jesus, I, I need you. I need you to be my Passover lamb and to forgive me. The regrets that I have, the shame, the guilt of the past, Jesus, would you come and wash it all away? Every number of weeks, I like to give an opportunity for those who have never put their trust in Jesus to take that step. And I wonder if today might be your day. That you would say, you know what? I, I think if I were to face judgment someday, I don't know that the lamb of God, that his blood has been applied to my life, but I want it to be because I've got regrets, I have things in my past, and I would love for him to erase those, and he will. That's his promise. If you confess your sin, he'll cleanse you from all of that. So I'm gonna pray, and I wanna invite you to pray along silently as I pray aloud, and if today you'd say, you know what, I want today to be my day. I wanna mark this day in December 2022 as the day that I put my trust in Jesus, I'm gonna invite you to pray with me and, and, and to ask the Passover lamb to personally cleanse you, all right? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the living God and when you came to earth, you never messed up, but I have. And I acknowledge that my sin deserves judgment. So Jesus, thank you for loving me enough to take that judgment. Your blood shed for me. Thank you for providing a way for me to be kept safe when you will judge all evil. So in faith, I accept you and your sacrifice is payment for my sin. I invite you to be first in my life to lead me each day and to help me discover all you have in store for me. I commit my life to you, Lord. Help me to know you better. 
Lord, for everybody who has put their trust in you right now, thank you that you've heard their prayer. You're going to answer that, Jesus. For those who long ago, maybe two months or two years or two decades ago, Lord, put their trust in you, thank you that today we've been adopted into your family. Your blood still covers our sin. So we thank you today, and as we take the bread and the cup, Lord Jesus, may it be with hearts of gratitude that you came that very first Christmas to save me, to rescue me from judgment. I love you. I thank you for that. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen.